Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to Out of Oz, the Q&A episode where we answer questions from the people on modern day Christian culture, and we'll give our answers with compassion, conviction, and courage. I'm your host, hopefully, almost as always, (laughs) Peter Tragos, and with me, almost as always, is Aaron Kern. It's been a fun season two. This feels like it's been, we've been recording a long time on season two. It does. Um, we started like in the spring recording, I think. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah. I know. It was, it was and like and here time. we are barreling toward November, the devil's birthday, three days away while we record this. And this is going to be coming out mid-November, I guess. So it's good to be back on the podcast with the coward himself. Adam Superpowers. The <laughs> man who be. knows no trade. Uh, in, case you're, in case you're That's wondering, me. people are ruthless, <laughs> although factual and truthful yes, in their, oh in their assessments on, a, ruthless so on, our, on our COVID-19 vaccination mandate podcast. Adam, who, of course, believes everyone should be vaxxed, Apparently. was caught a coward by one of the... I doubt they're a subscriber. They were probably just tuning in for that episode. But anyway. Not anymore. So uh, he has a new nickname for season three. Uh, but uh, <laughs> hunting, hunting for encouragement <laughs> in comments online is like no. trying to find a clean gummy worm in a toilet. <laughs> in a toilet. Yes. All right. Has there ever been a more epic downfall going from superpowers as your nickname to the coward? The, coward the, the tradeless sure. coward. Uh, yeah, the tradeless anyway. coward. Right. Anyway, it's awesome to have you back on the podcast, it's good to be man. Here. Wrapping down here. season two. And before we get going here, Jeffrey sent Pete and I. Uh, first of all, for season three, there's a lot of discussion about potentially doing some live podcast. And so you'd be able to actually comment and message while those are being recorded. The trick will be getting the three of us together for a live podcast at hours that everyone will be available to watch it or whatever. But we'll figure that out. We can make it work. Um, but we also wanted to shout out to viewers around the globe. God is using Out of Oz. People are tuning in. So obviously we have a growing audience here in the United States, which is awesome, according to all the downloads. Um, Also in Canada, it's quite large. Our third highest is Norway, quite a few viewers from Norway, then Puerto Rico, Finland, United Kingdom, Spain, Romania, Germany, Australia, Indonesia, Belgium, Singapore, India, Russia. You got UK twice. So now I'm starting to doubt some of this. Uh, Philippines, (laughs) New Zealand, Bahamas, Netherlands, Italy, Mexico, Guatemala, Turks and Caicos, Sweden. I already said Sweden. Ireland. Estonia, and the list goes on and on. Look, if you're those people listening, those friends of ours listening in, thanks so much for supporting and hanging out and sending Woo! gifts to Adam Powers up at Sunrise Community <laughs> Church. Uh, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, man. Hey, it is. Yeah, yeah. So, appreciate you. Yeah, appreciate you too, bro. But let's get to some of these questions. People have sent in, friends have sent in over this course of the season, so uh, we'll try to answer best we can. So I'm not sure whose fault this is. I think last season <laughs> they were like broken down by episode title so there was kind of a flow to it but i think jeffrey slacked out this year and just we were sent all these questions randomly so because i I would never blame maggie for we're all recovering from 2020 so um so there's not going to really be a sequence to these questions some of them might not make a lot of sense so we're going to do our best to form the question in a way that we can give answers that are helpful to the listeners and the first one 
comes from a couple different episodes we talked about. We did a dating pod, uh, dating episode. We did a social media episode. So we've hit on this a couple different ways. But what is your guys' perspective as pastors and counselors um, on the use of dating apps by Christians? Can they use them and how should they use them wisely? My take is pretty simple. Actually, we recorded a podcast like, what, two years ago before Out of Oz about Tinder. Oh, yeah. Obviously, we're living in a new age where, you know, interaction and meeting people and connecting um, outside of the church. Obviously, inside the church is the best place to connect. But I, I don't think there's anything wrong personally with connecting online. If you're going there uh, for the purpose of actually finding a relationship and it is, I don't know all the different platforms and apps and everything, but if it's not an app that's known for hookups, you know, so if it's a, I don't know, is, is match.com even around anymore? Farmers only? I don't really know. But if you're, if you're going to, a, to an app or to a website to actually try to meet somebody, to build a relationship and hopefully get married, I have no issue there. If you're going to try to hook up. Big issue. That's a big Huge issue. issue. That's, a, that's a problem. Dating is not for yeah. recreation. First off, Aaron, Aaron's answer to anybody that's listened to all of our podcasts, you may have fallen out of your chair because this is the guy who says you're not allowed to date if you're a Christian. So why would you <laughs> no, need no, dating if you're, apps if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're a teenager? If you're a, a teenager who has, look, even if you're an adult and you have no desire whatsoever, no ambition to be married, then really, once again, I'll stay, stand by. You just can't play with fire. So no, yeah, I'd, I would second all that, and I'd, I'd probably just add, I, I'd probably shows my temperament a little bit. I feel like an old curmudgeon when I hear questions like that, or maybe hear people talking about this. Uh, the best place I think for Christians to meet people is at church. The collective. Oh, in, sorry. In no. person. What was <laughs> Oh yeah, you guys have ministry. That's, that's the, the cowardly curmudgeon there for <laughs> yeah, you. Right? So, uh, <laughs> but I would also say that I'm suspicious and skeptical of anything where somebody has to market themselves in order to draw attention yeah. to themselves. Yeah. I'm not too comfortable with that. That's why I don't like dating. And insofar as that is kind of the doorway into this world, mm -hmm. I mean, from the get-go, you're, you're, you're kind of in a bad spot. There, there are better ways to do this. Yeah, I think it's tough, but yeah. I, don't, I wouldn't say it's biblically right. outlawed. Right, um, Permissible. Okay. Next question. Why are there so many professing believers, theologians, et cetera, that are leaving the faith? For example, Joseph Solomon. And in conjunction with that, we had another question. What is deconstruction? How should the church go about handling this issue? And why is there such a rise of deconstruction in the faith community? Is there a rise? I don't I know. I think there's if, a public rise. I like think, that, I think, I think it's it. more publicized yeah. because of the platform some of these people have. Some, I, we've always yeah. seen this. I mean, you go back pre-Reformation even, but during Reformation, the Puritan era, the Age of Enlightenment, you've always seen pastors, preachers, Christians supposed Christians fall away from the faith. Yeah. John writes about that in the New Testament. It was clearly happening in the first century. People made a very robust profession of faith. At least as far as how I would look at it, deconstruction comes in that they, they literally start, uh, if you can imagine a house, that's your faith, like they start removing brick by brick and deconstructing their house of faith, like where it all collapses around them. Um, but that, that comes for a variety of reasons. Most of the time, it just happens because the Bible tells us not to do something that we want to do. 
<laughs> I mean, that is, <laughs> that's, that's why people deconstruct their faith is they're like, oh, that doesn't seem very loving or well, I can't maybe. be with that person maybe. or I can't affirm that lifestyle. And I want to, mm-hmm. I feel bad about that. And so, and so a lot of times, uh, and I've mentioned this, I actually mentioned this past Sunday, it's guys with intellectual jargon of, oh, it's, you know, the Bible's untenable. Like it's, it's inconsistent, it's filled with contradictions, but really it, it cycles back to as a matter of fact, um, a really fascinating book. I don't know if you've read it, Adam. Hmm. I know you haven't, Pete. Uh, the Faith of Christopher Hitchens by Larry Taunton. No, not read it. Um, Larry Taunton was one of those who, who traveled with Christopher Hitchens, who was the ardent anti-theist. And he actually makes a very compelling case in the book. It's kind of a biographical sketch of Hitchens' life. That Hitchens always argued that he had reached his conclusion of anti-theism, a very hatred against a God that doesn't exist through intellectual pursuits, but really Taunton shows that it, it came about emotionally as a, an emotional reaction to um, how Hitchens had been raised in, in religious schooling and what the hypocrisy he had seen and things of that nature. I think that's typically the case. Tim Keller does a really good, a great write-up on um, young people who abandon the faith and they mask it in um, oh, I just can't logically, I, I can't get there scientifically. It doesn't make sense. But really, it's I want to have sex with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Yeah. And so I don't believe this anymore. So anyway, that's that's what you're you're hearing about it more because of all the social media platforms we have. And these guys with the influence, Josh Harris or Abraham Piper or Joseph Solomon or whoever. But it's it's always happened. People didn't legitimately believe in Christ. And Jesus actually talks about that with the sower and the seed. In times of tribulation, they're choked out, they fall on stony ground, they're washed away. So, Yeah, there's two elements involved, I feel like, in every deconstruction story. There's the intellect and the heart. And the intellect really, I think, is there. And I think that there are certain cases where there are really heartfelt, genuine questions. But the intellect in us, it's part of the image of God in us. It doesn't operate independent on its own motives from the heart fuel it. And so like what you're getting at, because the heart kind of moves the intellect, perhaps generally speaking, we we could say, yeah, the reason why the one deconstructing is not going to find answers for their questions is the same reason why atheists can't find God because they don't want to. I mean, that might sound harsh, and we, we should deal with our friends and family members and church members who are working through this and really try to answer that. There are some really good questions to all the questions out there. Like you're saying, this is not new. The church has been dealing with this for thousands of years, but eventually we should try to probe to the deeper things going on. Like what is, is there something that you're trying to escape out from under as if life would sure as heck be a lot easier if this weren't true and I could just do what I wanted to do. I think I think your point to the the heart moves the intellect, even though we don't want to admit that. Even within Christianity, yeah, like we want our intellect to move our heart, but actually, it's the opposite most of the yeah, time. Sure. And especially when it comes, if I can be honest, to to atheism, agnosticism, anti theism, it's a lot of or skepticism in general, and and that's why so many of these these atheists are known as angry atheists. Why would you be angry about something if you weren't actually impassioned or emotionally connected to it? Um, and so I, I think that, that that's the issue that just we're living in a day. I'm actually, when I'm preaching this Sunday on uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, um, we're talking about that the culture is turning in more and more in our culture. 
It's, it's, it's happened with every nation and empire throughout history, but it's happening more in our, our culture where Christianity is being marginalized and demonized and ridiculed. And, um, and because of that, it's becoming harder and harder to be a orthodox, historic, biblically-based believer and preacher nowadays. So, so what and you're so, saying is people are trying to find a new way maybe to be Christian or a new way sure, to be yeah. spiritual that doesn't rub, exactly, rub against yeah. the like something I'm comfortable with, something everybody's comfortable with. Yeah. We can just make everybody comfortable. Yeah. So I need to deconstruct what I had supposed or proclaimed Christianity to be because that's making people uncomfortable or yeah. making me uncomfortable. And I need to reconstruct something else, hmm. another form of Christianity or my own spiritual walk or you do what you want to do so that everybody's comfortable now and everybody's yeah. happy. The right. problem is right. there's no actual salvation taking yeah. place. So Powers, as a follow-up to that. Okay. How can one truly know they are saved and that they are not deceiving themselves? Oh man. <laughs> we we should be slow to trust ourselves and our feelings, even perhaps our conclusions about matters. But Paul does tell us in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. That's not meant to be an independent, isolated project. It's meant to be done in community with the local church that you're a part of, under the leadership that loves you and serves you and shepherds you. And so um, how do you know you're saved? Well, that's a chat you need to have with your individual pastors, things like that. At the root level, a helpful diagnostic question is perhaps something like, if you were to take this or that away, like, would you disintegrate? Like your personality, like your life, like would it come to an end in a sense Would you stop having meaning and purpose? Like if this was taken away or that were taken away, if Jesus were taken away, would your life fall apart? And if the answer is no, there's a huge problem. And so at the root level of what we treasure the most, we can often find what our heart is given to the most. And therefore, if our heart treasures Christ the most, um, we'll bear the fruit of the spirit, which is a good test to examine one another as we're in yeah, I think like yeah. in the most simplistic way, like when I talk to my kids and my daughter yeah. before she became a Christian, and it's like, well, what does it actually look like mean? How do you know? Do you love Jesus? That's it. Like, what does that mean? Well, how do you define that term? Like, do you love Jesus more than your parents? You know, more than your family? Do you, what do you think about Jesus? What does that make you want to do? Do you want to obey what he says? Do you feel bad when you're not? Like, there's a lot of things that like on a simplistic childlike level, yeah. if you apply them to your life, sometimes you can see like, maybe I'm deceiving myself. That's good. You know, because of where you, where the priorities are. Yeah. I always want to go back to yeah. like, and maybe it's just my upbringing, not because my parents, but because the churches we were in, um, it was just a lot of moralism. And so there's people who'd be like, well, examine it, you know, and Paul says examine yourself. But what they do is they take that to mean examine your behavior. Like, you know, are you doing the right stuff? Are you not doing the... Are you having sex and, with your girlfriend? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and, and granted, there's a there's a moral side of Christianity, clearly, that that we all understand. But that's not to bring about grace. It's it's a reaction to grace. And so I always want to say to people, like, I had a young lady literally come up at the membership class, after membership class on Sunday night, two nights ago, and say, I, I started with assurance. I started with doubt. Like, how can I know? And I asked her, I said, have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? And believe mm. in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Like, okay, yeah, but my faith is weak. Well, Christ says our faith is going to be weak. Uh-huh. And and but if you start looking at yourself, and she agreed with this, I'm like, if I start looking at myself and I'm actually honest with myself, 
there's probably greater reason that I'm not a Christian than that I am. Because of all the struggles, the thoughts that go on in my mind that I never let out, the, the lust of my heart that I'm always trying to fight down, the, the slow, slow, I mean, painfully slow process of sanctification where I'm like, man, I don't feel like I'm much more like Jesus than I was a year ago. And so instead of looking at myself, I feel like if we look at Christ and we focus on his grace, that sanctification clearly kind of progressively takes care of itself. Um, and so that's what I would say. I would just ask them, are, have you truly trusted in Jesus? Now, I understand there's nuance to faith. Like, have, yeah. have I really believed in my heart God has raised from the dead? There will be evidence of that. That, that powers you mentioned, but, um, but have we confessed with our mouth, which is becoming increasingly difficult to do in our culture, and do we believe, truly believe, and trust in his resurrected work? Mm. Well All right, said. next question. I would like to hear information about how, as a new Christian, do you stay in your lane, quote unquote, with walking in the faith? How do you not be influenced by friends or family about drinking, cursing, et cetera, but also not be judgmental? Okay, so I, I want to jump on this one really quick because— Jump on it. The thing I love, one of the things I love about new converts is the sensitivity of the soul that becomes lost as we progress on our Christian life. Wait, are you time. saying that we're, we're calloused? I think we become more callous. For sure. Totally. I mean, the, the more you're around, <laughs> Christians are very judgy people. Yeah. Um, because we hold convictions, and we hold them very strongly, and we hold yeah. them dearly, and we believe them even though we don't live according to them at times, but we, we hold them in such a way that we believe other people should live according to them, and we should. Um, whereas a new convert, they're kind of coming into all of this, or even if they grew up in the church, for the first time in their life, they're actually believing it. And so they have this very sensitive conscience of going, man, I don't want to do that because that could, even if it's not wrong, it just lead me down a path of like not pleasing the Lord. And so there seems to be with a lot of new converts, really strong personal convictions that set in um, around music, around dating, around dress, around participation in multiple church events and festivities and religious opportunities, whatever it is, evangelism, everything. Yeah. So there's a lot of these personal convictions, which are great. What happens, though, is you, if you're listening and you're a new convert, the tendency that I've seen historically is that I want to then, because I have a sensitivity in my conscience to these things, I want to enforce my personal convictions on everybody else. Yeah. Which is problematic. And so what in you- Insofar as it's out of bounds. Well, yes. Yeah. Because they're personal convictions. They're not this universal. Right? So what you need to do is you need to go to the word and say, is this a universal conviction? Yep. So you have every right, even as a new believer, mm -hmm. to talk to your roommate who's sleeping with his girlfriend who says he's a Christian. She says she's a Christian and say, kindly- which is also lost at times with believers, but kindly say, hey, you can't do this because this verse forbids that. I would, I would substitute, instead of the word kindly, appropriately. Okay. <laughs> with some friends. Sure. I don't think kindly is the way to have this discussion with them, especially when it's the fifth time and they keep coming to oh, the same well, problems every time. Context matters, right? Well, see, so see, I guess we, we might define kindly a little differently. Okay, kindly fair. to me, you can be you can kindly be for Peter's you can be, guns blazing. You can Not be ferocious. You can be ferocious, <laughs> right. and, and yet and yet kind in kind that you're calling them away from right. destruction. Right. Um, but that's what I mean is so if you're a new believer and you're like, man, I'm really, I'm really sensitive about this. How do I stay in my lane? Your lane is to declare what the Bible says. Yeah. Like you have absolute authority to do that. What does the Bible say? But you shouldn't just, this has happened to me. I don't know if it's happened to you powers. I'm um, being a coward and all, but uh, you shouldn't, if you're a young believer, a, a new believer, come up to your pastor after church on Sunday and be like, I don't, I don't feel like it's appropriate for you to wear jeans, you know, on a, on a Sunday like that. Come on, come on. Like 
if you don't feel comfortable wearing jeans on a sunny morning, then don't wear jeans on a sunny morning. Yeah. That's a personal preference right. or conviction for you. So that's that's what I would say is look at all the things that you feel this weight of conviction about and find out, hey, what is what is the spirit that's kind of laid on my heart? What is preferential to me? And then what is universal? This is dictated by the Lord. And that's where I'm going to be. That might be a little daunting to a, to a new, it's true. Well, black and white is just true. Just ask powers then. But <laughs> no, like, I mean, two, two, two things I think of, e- even if you're trying to do this kindly to, to your friends and not be judgy, um, telling the truth to others at times, even as loving as you can muster to be, you're going to be seen as judgmental because you're speaking truth and people that are in sin don't like to hear the truth. So that's, that's part of that. But maybe some of the too dauntingness is really good things to lean into as a brand new believer is trust that the Lord who saved you is going to keep you and grow you up. And so into everything that you said, God will bring you there. And it might be through circumstances where you're not so kind in doing this and you learn a better way. And you learn how to do this through failure and falling down and just, just like we have and things like this. And I, so, I, think, I think the principle, at least I'm trying to communicate, maybe it's just a personal principle for me, is what I've seen with a lot of young believers is just slow down. It seems like they're qu- extremely quick triggered to throw judgment on, at times, potentially on others. Not every new believer, but some. And so just kind of slow down. It's, it's not a bad thing that it might be heavy for them and hard for them to walk through this stuff and to find out, hey, is this actually a decree or is this a personal conviction? But I think that's a good thing instead of just whatever pops into mind, I just condemn that or speak that or judge that. I think that slowness and patience and there's something to be said for that. For Where do you guys stand in, especially with new Christians? I don't want to say changing friend groups, but reevaluating friend groups, especially their closest friends, best friends, people they spend most of their time with. Totally. What is your advice for that? Bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs says it like a thousand times in those uh, chapters. And so, what is pra- too. practically what can you do? Because you can still stay friends with them, but maybe that's not right. who you should be hanging but out your with. Your closest every night. friends right. should be believers, those that you encounter day to day the most should be believers. I mean, yes, you're going to be around coworkers and you're going to be around things like this, but those that you do life with and choose to be around the most, like outside of work context or maybe even work context, should be those that hold the same values that we do. But we can't do the the Amish thing and withdraw completely from society. Right. We, we've got to be in the world, but not of it. And so we can't, yeah. That's, that's what I'd say. Well, yeah, no, say? all I was going to add is I think context matters. And so- um, if you have like a group of, let's say you have two or three unsaved friends, but you want to maintain a relationship with them because you love them and because now you want to be evangelical toward them. Yeah. Um, instead of going to their parties where you used to get hammered or stoned or whatever, be like, hey, let's let's grab lunch and go with one of them. Instead of having a whole group that you're pressured by, go with, with one of them to grab coffee or grab lunch. And that's it might great. be out of the ordinary for you. You might be like, we never do that. But that's, <laughs> that's what's important is that change of scenery, that change of context, I think, yeah. where you can maintain a friendship, but you're not going to be enticed into Sin. either sinning or affirming or uh, being seen as affirming that bad behavior. Right. All right, Aaron, well this said. is for you. I was wondering why we have a cross at our church and not a crucifix as well as no photos of Jesus anywhere in the church. So I don't take... Because you read the Bible. Well, no, okay. So (laughs) So, powers might disagree on this. Just there there is a a divide within 
reform among reform pastors, theologians. Um, I don't take Paul's statement on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, that we should not think of the Godhead as stone or art or graven by man. Um, I don't take that as a prohibition necessarily, or like it's a sin for there to be a artist representation of Jesus. And the reason why is because Jesus, they would have all understood what Jesus looked like. They would have, Jesus became flesh. And so when, when Paul's talking about the divine, the, the eternal God, I would hold the opinion that he is referencing crafting an idol or a statue there on Mars Hill um, to depict the Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit. And so for us here at Building 28 anyway, if I'm honest, pictures of Jesus outside of a coloring book, just personally, just feel kind of hokey. Kind of, kind of weird. He's always um, Norwegian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of red, kind, red kind haired. Of, kind of feel weird. Um, the the <laughs> the crucifix that was a, that was an issue of debate and um, years gone past. But as Protestants, we don't necessarily recognize crucifix because Christ is not still on the cross. Right. He completed his work. The it's done. Yeah. Um, the the tomb is empty, and so the cross is a symbol, the guarantee of our salvation. But Christ is no longer, he's no longer on the cross. The, the, the Lamb of God so what, suffered once for his people, and that is done. So, but what is it, like we still do Good Friday, and we still celebrate his body and his blood, and his act of dying sure. is payment of our sins that we're supposed to remember and be thankful for. So that is something, like I grew up as that thinking that was like horrible. I don't even know why. Like, yeah. right? like in my head, when I used to see a crucifix, I'd be like, I can't believe they have that up on the wall, you know? <laughs> no. But like, I'm thinking about it and it's like, I don't see the issue with that. I, I wouldn't don't, say I don't know the I historical I personally debate, wouldn't say it's terrible or horrible. Yeah, I mean, or if you wear a crucifix or you have a crucifix or you have a picture of Jesus in your home, uh, if it's not an idol, it can, it can quickly kind of slide toward that in that we start praying toward that, um, that image without realizing that we're doing that right. uh, or that crucifix or whatever, that, that's problematic. Like that's part of why the Reformation, Reformation got away from those icons that were used so, so often within the church. But um, as far as just like having a picture or whatever, there are some, some of my friends who are like, absolutely not, because Paul says, don't even think of the Godhead like this. So no pictures of Jesus, nothing, no videos, don't watch Passion of the Christ, like nothing like that. Um, I just don't have a problem with that. All right. What do you think, Adam? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same vein. Oh, okay. R- R.C. Sproul changed my mind on this. Uh, before oh, I thought he was like an anti-icon. No, icon. no, right. no. Uh, well, he's, he's not. Calvin is so anti-any yeah. image. Uh, with with the Reformation, you have basically the inside of the sanctuary like stripped of all the images in the Protestant world because what you just said, Calvin believed that nobody legitimately can pray, even in the best of intentions, um, when icons are present without feeling like that's the image of Jesus. And in his day, that was probably to. legit. Right. I mean, they had grown up with those. And so, so, and so taking the first and second commandment, no images, no yeah. idols, no graven anything. Um, they they strip the sanctuaries of this for the sake of idolatry, and so. But then you walk into R.C. Sproul's the stained glass. Not not just the stained glass with with all the gospels and Paul in the middle, right? Yeah. Paul, Paul's in the middle, I think, in the back of St. Andrews. But in the, I'm sure there's a fancy word for this because they do that there. But in like the the foyer, the narthex. I don't think they call it foyer. Maybe Nar- narthex, maybe narthex. There are some of the most exquisite, gigantic images from the Gospels that I've ever seen. And walking in there and seeing somebody from a reform perspective kind of recovering 
I think art in its proper use was corrective for me and helpful for me. Is that it? Yeah, they call it a narthex. Narthex, there yeah. you go. Oh, it's like yeah, the but, foyer of a... But I don't know if that's what those churches call it. You think that's what... That's what like like high that steeple... That reminds me of like Calvary Baptist. Right. Like in the narthex, we're going to be... Uh, yeah, Sproul, yeah. Sproul meeting has and talking a specific name and it's yeah, very historical. A lot of PCA churches else. call them a narthex. Okay. Yeah, right. something yeah, like that. So yeah, Sproul, Sproul changed my that mind. for free. Before walking into that narthex, I was anti-image. And seeing that was was very challenging to me. And I kind of re reconsidered it and came out on the other side of it. But we, we still at our church don't have any images inside the sanctuary. Um, though we have a lot of art, we have a lot of words on the walls. So I felt like this was a long discussion just to basically say it's just preferential for the <laughs> yeah. most part on our no, part. Not to have it because right, right. of where it could lead. That's it. Yeah. Amen. All right, Shh, Adam. Simply put. <laughs> See, this is a bit of a charged question. Oh, gosh. Is it okay for my wife to use messaging and Instagram to chat regularly with a married man who claims to be a believer with no other context? That's the question. No other context of the question. In order to answer the question, there really needs to be other context. Who, To the individual who asked this question, I would really just want to sit down and have well, How about a, have you told your wife that you're not okay with it? That should be enough for her to stop. Right? I think if your spouse is not okay with it, the answer is no. Yeah. But I don't think it's a blanket like you can never message someone that's married right. on Instagram that's, that's also it. a believer. Yeah. Like Frequency, a, right. context, right. what's happening in those conversations. Right. I agree. That, all that stuff matters. I mean, healthy marriage, unhealthy marriage, mm-hmm. like what's going on? Are you guys at odds over this? And what, I, mean, I, I agree. Yeah. I think there's a, so much, so many layers, so much nuance to that, that um, why does the yeah. man, I'm like my... I'll message Peter's wife and he'll message my wife and we'll all be messaging back and forth on, on, but like about stupid stuff, like the house being decorated right. or are you bringing the kids to a trunk or treat or whatever, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, and so none of our wives mind, we don't mind that because we understand all the intents that are there, but to be asking this question, it seems like there's, yeah, there, there's, there's, something e- there's more there. either there's, I think we have to consider as spouses, like the history of our spouse and like, that's true. even if we have good intentions, maybe yeah. they went through something in the past that causes them to possess a lack of trust or. Right. And so I, th- I think it. that that is something that should be brought to whoever's asking this question should be brought to your pastors, talked through husband and wife. It shouldn't just be like, I don't care what you think. I'm going to keep doing what yeah. makes you uncomfortable. That's not healthy. We, we have folks at our church that, uh, that, that will not text me if they're ladies without also texting Holly. So I usually don't do that. I usually will. Like if I'm going to text Danielle, it'll be with Aaron on. Like I was going to say chat. normally, but yeah, usually I, I try to do way. that, but yeah. I'm not going to say like as a blanket that I only do that. Like right. I've definitely, I feel right. like, te- like, like, I'm I text, sure I have. I text Pete's yeah. wife yesterday because we're in the same neighborhood now. And I was like, what day does trash come? Right. And like, I, didn't, again, I didn't include him <laughs> on the to like, live thread. life <laughs> yeah, and yeah. like trust each other. And so I do think that has to be an element of it, but I do think if you have a problem with it, like if I told Whitney I had a problem with it, then she wouldn't and, and vice versa, you yeah, know? for sure. But, you know, I, I think that a co- context matters with this. Okay, Aaron. Pastor Aaron mentioned almost in passing that he thought Nero was the Revelation 13 beast from the sea, the Antichrist. <laughs> I was wondering Did who would really? be the beast from the earth, false prophet in that scenario. And how would that relate to the beast's appearance in the final seven years described by Gabriel and Daniel? Okay, so... 
I told Pete when I as, walked as in here. As quickly as you can. <laughs> it's, 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 been, it's been I would like to hear Power's thoughts because he wasn't on that podcast about the end times. Are we living in the end times? I thought Antichrist. Obama was the Antichrist. Um, <laughs> Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> right. I would just say this, that – so I didn't have time to look at the questions today, so I haven't prepared. But I will say that I think the beast of the earth – and, and you might disagree, is the Roman imperial cult that was going on there that was birthed out of, that, that came from Rome. And so it kind of birthed out of the earth, like birthed out of the civilization. And I think that ties in, I think it squares really well with Daniel. I think the beast of Daniel is the empire of Rome. And so I may, maybe I'm missing a part of the question, but I, I would say I would say the beast of Revelation, the, if you want to call him the Antichrist, um, the beast of Revelation was Nero. I think it, it factors in, I mean, it's, I think it's beautiful how um, John writes about this. And then shortly after writing the book of Revelation, well, actually the beast is already present because Nero's already reigning during that uh, around 66, 65, 66 AD. Um, and then the the beast from the sea is that the worship of the emperor, the imperial cult. I don't know. You got any thoughts on that? I would say the beast in Daniel is Sorry, Antiochus Epiphanes, okay. uh, who set himself up as king, as God in the temple. And that the beast in Revelation is what you're talking about. It's kind of the collective spirit of unbelief in the world that's rising. Gotcha. Personified, perhaps, at that time in Rome. Antiochus Epiphanes, second century? Yeah. Uh, second century B.C., Yes. Uh, sacrifice the pig on the altar. Mm -hmm. So that's one. That's an interpretation of that. I'm yeah. thinking of the empires that are revealed and the fourth being the beast. I think that's yeah. wrong. Anyway, it's a convoluted issue, but like I it think is. I think it, it all is. kind of lines up and, and makes a lot of sense historically from a predator's perspective. Obviously, the partial, futurist, partial, partial predators. Yeah, we talked about that Whoa. on the podcast as well. <laughs> all right. Next question. Well said. How does our modern definition of modesty in parentheses, how much skin is showing, different for, differ from that in the Bible. Parentheses, not dressing to show off, wealth or beauty, an example, gold jewelry or braided hair. How should Christians react to fashion trends in their area? Powers, you're probably going to have to take this one for anybody looking at Aaron's fashion Deal. sense today. <laughs> Deal. I, I He's going for home. I thought you were going to say like I like scandalous dresses. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. well, there's not a very high bar here. Oh, uh, yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm like gonna, here, here, it's like up there. But what, it, what? How does it differ? How does modern day modesty oh differ from biblical so modesty? It's so different. It's so different. How much skin? Just on like the percentage of skin that normally shows in people today versus pe people in ancient cultures uh, is vastly different. Though at times in different festivals and things like that, there there was. Uh, probably more skin um, showing then than there is in general now. Big general principle, I think here we can go back to, why did God ordain, invent, create clothing? It came about at the end of Genesis 3 when God wrapped Adam and Eve with the skins of the animal that were sacrificed to cover their shame. Clothing therefore exists to cover shame. Therefore, if we use clothing in such a way to entice people toward the parts of us that are hidden by the clothing we do have, we're using clothing in a sinfully wicked way, and we should not do that. That is not modest at all. Um, modesty, though, I do think, well, I, I don't know. Here, I was just saying, in, in that way, they're the same. In that okay. way, they're the same. It's the okay. same I agree with you. Yeah. And now, like, like, even though it might look different functionally, yeah, yeah, yeah. practically, 
what was happening in their day is they were using their apparel to draw attention to themselves right. and even to parts of their body that they should not have. Just like today. And just like today. Yeah. So in that way, it's exactly the same. Sure. It's the whole idea of like, so I, I think you can be stylish. My wife's very stylish. Your wife's very stylish. Holly's I don't very know. Stylish. I don't know Holly as well. Um, but, you know, modern, but yet you can dress in such a way, in a stylish way as to not accentuate or to draw attention to. Yeah. In an over-sexualized way. And I think right. that it's right. kind of clear. I mean, I know there's a difference of opinion on all that, but I think most of the time it's pretty clear when it's when it's over-sexualized. Modesty is one of those things where you know it when you see it. You're like, yep, that's immodest. Well, I think most people, there's a standard <laughs> that... But I think um, there's always been the talk about like, well, when you go to the beach, like you dress in a way, if you wear one piece, you dress in a way as a woman that you would never dress in church. And so there is an appropriateness mm. to what you're wearing when you're wearing it as well. And so if a woman walked into church on a Sunday with a, with a one-piece swimsuit on, probably most people, even if they're more loose with that, would say, oh, that's not appropriate or that's not modest. But yeah. you go to the beach and it's like a very modest way so, of dressing at the beach. So is modesty contextually contextual? defined, meaning is modesty subjective? I, th- I think practically, yes. I would, I would argue I practically, think so too. yes. I think so, too. I think, I think different cultures around the world, there are certain yeah. things that would be deemed as immodest because it's yeah. a distraction. Yeah. It's a distraction that you could get away with here, and it's not yeah. a distraction. Like a, I think modesty is almost more of a mindset than it is anything else. With, it's a heart condition in Scripture of, I'm not context. going to distract. It's what's the thought process that's of it, why you're it, putting yeah. this on. Yeah. That's, that's I think, Getting what it comes heart. down to. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's hit some quick hitters. Short answers for the next couple, and then we'll get into some more lengthy answers. First, and you're welcome for turning it into the quick hitter portion of the podcast. Yeah. Is masturbation a sin inside of or out of marriage? Yes. It is a sin done in isolation because you're trying to experience an experience apart from the one that God has given you to experience that with. So if you're doing this by yourself, sinful selfish. We did a whole podcast last season, so I'll just say did Agreed. Okay. How should Christian women react to the push to breastfeed anywhere, even out in the open? I don't know at what angle people would ask us this question, but maybe we are totally qualified for this. Modesty or like should, is it okay or not okay? Does the Bible touch on this? I'm not really sure. Are they looking for like a like a medical advice yeah, I on mean, this? There's, there's, not, really there's sure. not much of like a pastoral <laughs> biblical perspective here. I would Here's say, my question. Here's I would say actually, you have absolute liberty to do that. It's cultural. Yeah. But because of the culture, it you have to be okay with like some people being uncomfortable yeah. with it. Like, yeah. I mean, I think that's Should, just- Do you have to care about how other people feel about it? I guess that's a, that's an interesting question to think like here if in guys our culture, are uncomfortable yes. or if guys are checking you out while you're doing it or like whatever, right. like should that come into your mind or is it just like, this is natural, I'm feeding my baby and and I'm good? Here in our culture- do a whole podcast on this next no. season. <laughs> <laughs> here in our culture, yes, because it goes back to the heart issue. Yeah. Things like that. But I I, I was preaching in a church in Kenya one time and right there on the front row, there's two or three ladies. Didn't even have a shirt on, just breastfeeding. Totally normal. For them. For them. Yeah. And it was distracting me, right. just because <laughs> we, we often don't see that in our yeah. churches, right. but they didn't even blink an eye. Here, you're, you got to be aware that this, this is going to draw I will say, some... like, something about the question that needs to be addressed is the push for. That's yeah. it. Like, That's like it. look... If you're not comfortable doing something, you shouldn't be pushed into doing it. So if you're not comfortable breastfeeding in public, then you shouldn't be like pushed into it just because it's okay to do so. 
And I would say, even though I'm more uncomfortable with it, and I would, I personally would not be okay with Daniel doing that in public. If you're okay with doing it in public, you shouldn't be like pushed into not doing it. I think there is appropriateness that needs to come into play. I do think, like I think about what I do and how it will affect other people. Will it cause them disruption, frustration, lust? Like, I think that's all true. Like some guys will be uncomfortable seeing that. Some guys will be lustful seeing that. And I think that should come into play as a liberty that you have. I don't think it's sinful at all to do it, but I also think that it may be wise to have like a cover up or whatever so that yeah. it's not just out it's because like I think there are some a, people. Yeah. Danielle and I had a long conversation about this and she never breastfed in public, but she thinks it's totally cool. Right. And like, you should do that. And she thought it was so weird that somebody might lust. And I said, look. Any teenage boy. That's what I'm saying. Any I'm thinking teenage more of like boy a young yeah. dude. looks at me and says, I don't want to see a nipple. Yeah. Like, is lying to me. Just No, but I seriously think that that should just come into play. We talked about it with masks. We think it's okay to give up some of our liberties to care for other people if it's legitimate. Yes. Right? Like, we talked yes. about that with masks. There's a line, but like, back when we thought we were, you know, protecting other people and whatever, like, it, we're not being sinful wearing a mask to be nice to other people or whatever, you know, like so, we talked so about ma- that. Maybe there's this push that's a little bit driven maybe by feminism saying, you, and if you're a true woman- They're hating you, they're suppressing you. You got to get out there right. and show your womanhood in right. this way, right. blatant for everybody to see. Right. That that That's not the gentle and quiet spirit of First, first Peter Because 3. I got to be honest, no you way. can take that incredibly far. You, like, oh my you gosh. could be a nudist Where's and be like, stop? there's no sexualization for me. It doesn't stop anywhere. There's no, there's right. no sexual. It's natural. This is me and mine. This is how God made me. Yeah. This is the Christian way. Deal anybody, with it. Anybody who wears clothes at all is going against God's creation. Because they, Adam and Eve were just hiding their shame. There was nothing wrong that they didn't need to put I'm clothes on. I'm not ashamed. It's actually sinful. Seriously, like right. you could take that pretty far. Cut all this out. All right. <laughs> no way. We're keeping that one. <laughs> Next question. Is it, yeah, seriously, is it beneficial <laughs> Or hurtful to confess your sins to your spouse rather than another brother or sister. I think it can be it can be beneficial. Yeah. Like um, I, I, I don't think I think there are certain things that could a few things that could hurt your spouse, and it'd be good to confess to like a brother and a same like same gender like accountability partner. But I think by and large, it's good for your wife or husband if they're a believer to be an accountability partner for you. Your spouse is your best friend. Why would you not? Is it unbiblical for the wife to be the breadwinner, a.k.a. a stay-at-home dad? Is that okay? No. I mean, no, it's not unbiblical. Oh, I was like, no. Uh, I was like, really? Oh, no. Well, I mean, Proverbs 31, the woman- Wait, 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 hold on. I agree with Aaron. Bread. Do you disagree with him? I, I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Stay-at-home dad to me. <laughs> oh, no. Context oh, matters. Oh, my gosh. Not taking in the whole rise and fall- Mars Hill issue Wait, here. Wait, stay-at-home mom is okay. We're all agree with that, right? Very much. So why would a stay-at-home dad not be okay? To me, it sounds lazy. Totally honest. You cut this out if you want. I, I do not. Yes. No, I don't care. I don't <laughs> oh care. Hey, he doesn't want to be seen as a coward. Yeah. So right, he's coming sorry. out. I love out no, hot okay. cowards, but this oh, is a miss. They're oh, off the this top. Is a miss. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. It's, not lazy, or, it's not lazy or easy to be a stay-at-home spouse. Boom. Right. First off. Right. Amen. Full-time hard job. I would never want to do it. Right. You couldn't pay me if you I'm doubled not what I make I would be like I'm not knocking no. the ladies or any any wife here any stay at home mom I'm saying for the man 
I think, who is made by God to be the head of the home. You might argue they're a better leader of their children if they're the stay-at-home dad you, or the stay-at-home You spouse. could argue that. Circumstantial context matters here. I think it's case by case. In general, though, I, I would probably counsel men. I think men. somebody being lazy who doesn't want to work and stays at home because their wife makes a lot of money is not biblical, but that's not... Well, that's, that's some of what I'm saying here. But that, but that's not a blanket. Can that. the wife be a breadwinner? There you go. Being I, I lazy yeah. and doing nothing is sinful for a man. Yeah, uh, and a you're going to sit at home and play Fortnite all day right. while the kids are doing that's their own thing. That's not what we're saying. If you're talking about that, that's that's what that's not the question. I, I, right. The question is: is it yeah. is it is it unbiblical across the board for the wife to be the breadwinner across the board? Answer: No. I'm going to overrule powers on this one and say <laughs> the number one thing that makes my wife angry is if I even insinuate that she doesn't. Work. work right, right. Um, and so I have like you said Pete and I know Adam does too we're like all ribbing each other but like utmost respect for for <laughs> those who <laughs> ladies or men who are stay at home I don't think there's any biblical prohibition I think once again there are personal convictions that people hold as to their wife not we're actually doing a podcast next season on working moms outside the home versus working moms at yeah. home um, and Both so we'll, we'll talk to that deal. more then so let me ask yeah. you this question then yeah is it unbiblical for the wife? Howard, you just be quiet on this. To one, be, okay? <laughs> I'm making this one a little easier softball for him. Is oh it unbiblical God. for the for the wife to be the spiritual leader? Yes. in the house. I, I yes. would say yes. Yes, I would agree unless with that. unless Hands the husband down. is a new convert or right. not a convert, right? And, and she yeah. should she should work towards yeah. him yeah. becoming the head of the house and the yes. leader of the house. Sure. And I think you can absolutely do that as a stay at home dad. That's for my sure. point. That's okay. why I don't think okay. it's unbiblical to be a stay at home dad. I want to say case by case. But I'd love to have that chat. <laughs> I want to say there is sin and then not sin. And sin is being a lazy loser. Not sin is if your wife is the breadwinner and you're a stay-at-home dad. That's not sin. Well um, said. Well said. Okay. Parenting episode was hosted by fathers of young children and didn't give a perspective on parenting Parenting for young adults. Will we have more of a long view term or more, I'm, I'm, I'm adding to this question, maybe more experienced guests in the future episodes of- Oh, God. Of, that, that, ep that episode was supposed to be recorded- on the road in Miami with Eric Bancroft, who's a church planting pastor on there. Who's who's a sweet dad. Yeah. Awesome dad. Three sons who are grown. Vanderbilt, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Like, like yeah. One's like an Alaskan fisherman now. Yeah. Anyway, awesome dude. We got stuck in traffic in Miami, so we had time only to train their staff and not do the podcast. So we ended up having Tim Miller, who was gracious, but yeah, has younger kids, and Deshaun. Uh, and myself. Tim Miller, who's like a kid himself. We can all agree with that. Yeah, he is. He is. We love you, though. Um, Amen. But at the end of the day, would it be beneficial to have the experience of someone who has raised teenagers and has Absolutely. adult children? Yeah. Also, though, we believe truth is truth. Like the paramount truth is scripture and the biblical principles being applied. And so we might at some point have a podcast, do an episode on teenagers and adult children. Yep. But I would find that helpful. Yeah, all right. For sure. Powers. Yes, sir. Get ready. Get excited. <laughs> Infant oh, baptism episode. Oh, nice. I'm not clear on whether or not the across-the-board pedo communion is seen as heretical comment was said in jest or sincerity. Could I receive some clarification? And then additionally, a second part of the question, which historical and modern-day theologians were on each side of infant baptism? Okay, the first question is about pedo communion and I did say in that episode, which, to be honest... It was three against one, so I was probably a little bit more aggressive than I normally it would be. It was four against one. We had the spirit no. on our side, too. Oh <laughs> All three of them. Let's do this. Bazooka's coming out again. It's heretical across the board. Uh, no, so it was, it was not said in jest. Um, the historical Reformed 
Pedo Baptist position does believe the majority of us believe that Pedo communion is wrong across the board. There are minority representations of this view, and you find them in the Anglican world. You find them in Doug Wilson in Idaho and little spots around the globe like, like that. You don't find it majority in the Pedo Baptist world. So first question, is that, yes. is that good? Well, hold on. Let me just let me just clarify something really quick. Yeah, heresy. When you say heretical, that damns you to hell. And so I think that might have been the context of that question. Okay, is it wrong? We would all agree here that it's Un-biblical. wrong. Unbiblical. 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 Just like free will, as we would have defined it yeah. in the predestination, well is unbiblical. But it's not heretical. Like if you if you be- don't believe in unconditional election, you're not going to hell. True. You're just wrong. Okay. I, yeah. So I, that, I, yeah. I don't think those that do pedo communion are damned or. Yeah. Like that. I mean, so so maybe heresy is too strong of a word. Unbiblical, thoroughly through and through. I think. I agree. Um, second question, and we we all could answer this one. Uh, historical people on the baptism debate sides and modern people. Let's do historical first. In the Reformation and church history, everyone's on the Pado Baptist side. Wrong. Uh, the Anabaptists during the Reformation came out on the Credo side. And I, I, I won't even say Credo. They, they took Credo too far, I would say, to, to be favorable to the Credo position. They, they took it too far. Okay, so sorry. Hi, historical Calvin, Pado Baptist. John Knox, Pado Baptist. Uh, who, who else are we talking about? John Bunyan? John Bunyan believers baptism, for sure. Though him and Spurgeon were favorable of dual practice and leaving it up to the parents to decide. As am I. Luther, Pado-Baptist, but Pado probably in a more Catholic way than we would be And, and to be with. clear on all of this, believers baptism, all of these guys would have believed if you were converted as an adult. All, all. All of them. All. And so... That, that, and that is where it gets muddied, even if you go way back to the first three centuries of the church. The, oh. Rome, the old Roman creed, yeah. which became the Apostles' Creed, was written as a declaration for believers' baptism. Uh, at least the people I've read would say, I believe that. Um, and <laughs> you're distracting me. My head. But as we talked about in that episode, everyone believed in believers' baptism if somebody was converted as an adult Amen. and was not baptized Amen. as a baby. Um, which was m- m- the majority of people in the first century. Like they were coming to faith as Christianity spread thousands of people being saved. And so then infant baptism, like we don't have time. We just don't have time. Yeah. But, Both positions but, were adequately represented throughout all of church history. Charles Spurgeon, believers baptism. Obviously, when you look at Baptists, like particular Baptists coming out in the, in the Puritan era, like Bunyan and, and Spurgeon and others, they're all going to fall on the side of believers' baptism, anti-infant baptism. When you look at most of the reformers coming out of, sorry, powers, the Roman Catholicism of a thousand years, they're going to be more on, unfortunately, the pedo-baptistic side. So all modern right. day speaking, we haven't done that one. Pedo-baptist, R.C. Sproul, Derek Thomas, Sinclair Ferguson, Ligon Duncan, and the like. But basically anybody Presbyterian, yeah. Lutheran. Maybe Anglican. Some some non-denominational. Ray, Ray Ortland is a big dual practice guy. That's interesting. I didn't know that. So most most of your like famous more non-denominational or Baptistic, yeah. J.D. Greer, Matt Chandler, the John Piper, Piper, um, Mark Dever, the, Mark Moeller. Dever, Moeller, they're all going to be on the Credo Baptistic side. side, and they're all friends. They're all just great like friends. we are here. Like yeah, they're all friends, and they're together for the gospel. Like yeah. they're gospel coalition people. They're all together, right? But they differ on this one sure. issue of baptism. All right. In the episode, How Should Christians React to Vaccine Mandates, 
it was stated that Christians are biblically commanded to obey the governing authority over us unless that governing authority commands us to sin. How do we marry these two together? That's Meaning I mean, we're supposed to we're supposed to obey what the government says, but responding to the vaccine mandate, a lot of Christians are saying they don't want to get the vaccine. So are they sinning by not obeying the governing authority? I feel like we, we covered that. I, I mean, you, you'd have to prove that it's sin. Like, you'd have, I mean, you have to. Yeah. Well, I mean, first meaning, off, the government's not throwing you in jail for it. No. So, so you don't really have to make that decision right now. You just have to make a decision of where do you want to lose your job if you don't get the vaccine? And even if you don't get the vaccine, if your job offers weekly testing, Whatever. You could do that but, as well. I'm but just the saying point like, is, it's not like paying taxes. It's not a. It's you not have a, to pay taxes, or <laughs> you go to jail. Right. That's yeah. obeying the governing authority by yeah. paying taxes, or you go to jail. Yeah. You can't drink and drive, regardless how you go to crazy jail. the taxes are. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the point. And but yeah. this is not that right now. No. Yeah, no like it's not. not it's not saying get no. the vaccine or go to jail. All right. Predestination episode. That was a good one. My whole life, I believed one thing: free will, Arminianism, basically. Where do I start? With the Bible. I mean, is there is there a better I think, answer? I well, think the point. Well, the, the point is they've been reading the Bible through this lens. Sure. So how do they start understanding? I think what terminology means, so that when they read the Bible, they can understand what these words actually mean. Um, I would I would strongly recommend a couple of resources. I think the best one, in my opinion, is "Putting Amazing Back in Grace" by Michael Horton. It was that was phenomenal. A couple of easy ones, like really easy to me anyway, was Easy Chairs, Hard Words by Douglas Wilson. It's a conversation between a young man and a pastor around all of these, around all these issues. Also, The Potter's Freedom by James White, I thought was super helpful was on yeah. that, like hmm. really, really helpful. Um, it was in response actually to Norman Geisler's mm-hmm. Chosen But Free. Yeah. So it was like a rebuttal, which is cool. exactly what Bondage of the Will by Luther was to Erasmus in the first in the, on the first century in the 16th century. So I just I think those are fun because they're responding to a popular view that's unbiblical. And so anyway, those are ch- chosen by God by R.C. Sproul was great. So there, there's a lot of really good ones that I would try to direct you to that are going to systematically break down scripture yeah. and put it in a funnel that we can understand really well. Both Kevin DeYoung and um, Robert Godfrey have books tracing through the 16th century events that led to the label Calvinism, which are very, very helpful. And then we got a lot of discussion around this podcast. So the predestination one, mostly positive. So leave in the comments, a lot of people ask for more theological discussions in future seasons. Let us know in the comments. And then also just let us know kind of what content you guys have liked the most that we've done over the first two seasons. I think that's always helpful. For sure. Um, Again, predestination. Why is it fair that God chooses me and not my fair? It's it's not fair. Okay. uh, I agree. fair, Fair is a matter of dessert. And we all deserve death, Romans 6.23. So we all deserve damnation. So it's not a matter of fair. It's just like somebody asking, not just like, but the analogy I would use is we adopted Spurgeon and Augustine. We didn't adopt the hundreds of other children that are, you know, were were up for adoption in Pinellas County. I would say we were gracious to them, not unjust and not unfair. Like we, um, now I, I understand the argument that God knows no limitation and he could have and Part of me, I'll admit, wishes universalism was true, wishes everybody was going to heaven, but they're not. And God stepped into fallen humanity that was all racing toward damnation, and he selected some to be recipients of his grace. He is completely just because he is the authority, the sovereign. He is merciful toward those who receive salvation. Spurgeon said something to the effect of all those who go to hell go to hell justly of their own 
will and desert all those who come who receive grace go to heaven come to heaven by God's mercy alone. And so um, I know that gets into the double predestination, which we'll do a podcast on at some point in time. But mm-hmm. but to me, I just look at this and go, um, it's not a matter of fair. If it was fair, everyone would be in hell. We've all sinned and transgressed. Um, so. so Adam, as a follow-up to that answer, so then why is it fair? We've answered that. Why? Why did God choose this person and not their friend? For his own sovereign pleasure. That's it. That's why, why do you do what you do right, for his to glory, make yourself yeah. happy? That's why it. does God do what he does right. okay. to, to bring him pleasure? Yep. All right. A couple of uh, questions from the Catholic episode. Will Catholics be in heaven? Mm. These guys, I assume that's us, say their authority is scripture alone. How has that worked out for you? How many different Protestant denominations slash interpretations are out there? Every one of which think they have the truth. Belief in scripture alone as the final authority allows you to interpret scripture in any way that suits you, allowing you to make God in your own image. Not according to historic Christianity in any form, no. Catholic or Protestant. No, no. no one who was worth their salt scholastically would say that believing in sola scriptura, prima scriptura, just allows you to interpret it however you want to interpret it. Like no, no one would believe that. Um, no one would teach that. Good Catholics um, or even non-Christian Catholics like the, you know. Uh, adherence to the Vatican would not say that Protestants, they wouldn't, if they're being honest, they wouldn't say, oh, Protestants just let you interpret however you want. That's such a fallacious argument and a straw man that's being built there. Um, there. There are rules of hermeneutics that need to be followed both in Catholicism and in Protestantism. So you interpret those rules of hermeneutics, for example, are you interpret a context, a passage in light of the surrounding context, in light of other more clear scripture, According to the the languages, if you know that, scripture never defies other scripture, so you can't make excuses for sin. I mean, so there's a certain rules of hermeneutics. Like, I, I think that that's um, somebody who's just ticked. Yeah, I mean, unity and error is never a good thing. We should always be striving to the truth, which is why Luther nailed the theses on the church door. Rome was an error. And they had the scripture, Right. And yes, it's true that the Reformation did cause a splintering in the church and has created thousands of different denominations across the world and throughout history, but we're in a fallen world and that's going to happen. No one, even the three of us here in these seasons, we read the same Bible and we arrive at different conclusions, but all of us have the guardrails of the whole canon of scripture and the history of the traditions and of the church. And if we can just, to whoever that here, that, that listener was, if we can just be honest for a second, Catholics do the same thing. They're not all, if you're pretending like they're all agreed on everything, oh, that sure. is ridiculous for and a sure. ridiculous assumption. Like there yeah. is so much diversity, different sects and branches. Well, especially now with yes. Pope Francis creating the whole idea of a liberal Catholic, it's angering all the Benedict yeah. conservative Catholics. And they're, they're even talking about a splinter in a s- separation in their own world. Yeah. So, yeah. Last one on the Catholics episode. A Catholic friend got angry when I asked if he would, or when I suggested that he listen to this episode. Oh. Were they justified? <laughs> well, no, Probably they, the title of the episode Is it offensive? Is that an That's, offensive title? Like, would you be offended if somebody we, said- We purposely our, pick titles that are going to arouse a little bit of suspicion or interest or- Clickbait. Um, you know, I, I probably, if I had a Catholic friend, I probably wouldn't present it that way. Like, I would just be like, hey, my church recorded a podcast I thought was really fair and and biblical about 
about Roman Catholicism and Christianity. I probably wouldn't be like, are Roman Catholics going to heaven? Just because I don't want to like unnecessarily offend my friend. They're going to find that out as soon as they go to the episode if they do. I just, um, I wouldn't feel any offense if somebody said that about like our reformed people going, yeah, down. I would listen to it. I mean, people are, like, people are touchy. And if they totally yeah, misdefine yeah. reformed, then I don't care. Yeah. Like if they think we totally misdefined Catholicism, then why would they care? Yeah. Like, well, I, I just don't understand that type of thing. Like they, people hate that type it's of stuff. A, for, for that person, it's probably a very sensitive right, subject exactly. growing yeah. up in that. To exactly. hear that is to reject all that they hold near and dear. And all yet, right. yeah. So on the vaccine mandate episode, should the church have more of a role in pushing people to more holistic treatments? No, I don't think so. I think that's, I, I personally think that's beyond our depths. The church's role is to preach the gospel. For that. I think I'm not trained in that. Like, like pastors yeah. are not trained. Right. In that. A lot no. of people who are like touting things are not actually trained in that. Right. That can be very dangerous. The church's intention and goal and purpose is twofold, worship and witness both aimed at the glory of God. And as soon as we depart from that, we're going down avenues we have no business going down. All right, on the Bethel Hillsong episode, how far do we take our disassociation with some of the mega ministries that create music? Co-authorship, collaborations, Oh, because covers. City of Light once recorded a song with one of their artists at... Right. At, right. At Whatever it may be, how far do you take your dissociation with those mega ministries? I think ministries? you warn about the movement like we talked about in the episode. Yeah. I personally still believe that you can listen to and play the music yep. while you're warning about the movement. Yep. And as far as association goes, most there's nobody who's listening to City of Light and going. But one time in 2013, they played with an artist from Bethel. So they must be. I mean, no. Like, well, I, I don't think that. Some some people do, and they're just hypercritical, bent there. But you 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 would qualify that a little bit more. Play the music in so far as it's theologically it's biblical, accurate. Yes. Yeah, not, we did that. Not all episode. the music, right? Yeah. All right. Final question. Hmm. What was your favorite episode? Actually, two questions. Two more questions. What was your favorite episode of season two? Weed. Really? Oh yeah. Okay. And I know you weren't here for you were on sabbatical. I wasn't, yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was it was quite fascinating to hear. Nate and Alan's perspectives on that coming from very different perspectives. And it's it's such a polarizing issue that the church is trying to deal with. And I think it's our most listened to and viewed episode from this season. It was just, I thought it was a really interesting, fun discussion. Predestination or the vaccine mandate? The vaccine mandate. Oh, I thought predestination was right yeah, up predestination there. Was, that was probably my second favorite one. So yeah. my my couple that were in the running were predestination, infant baptism. I like that one. Oh, and yeah, yeah. the Enneagram one with you and Trill. The, the Enneagram... It was one of my favorites. I got the yeah. Smackdown trill. That, that, was, that was a fun <laughs> oh, All right, last question. Last question. What is one topic you want to do next season? Mm. If you've thought at all about it. I would love to have a whole episode like we did on predestination. Love this. On what is the gospel? Okay. One hour on us just nailing into what is the gospel. Okay. That'd be great. I would love theologically to talk about limited atonement. That'd be awesome. I would love Amen. that. I think that would be... People are so hung up on unconditional election that they hardly ever get to limited atonement. Limited yeah. atonement is just incredible doctrine, but it's more controversial than unconditional election for a lot of people once they finally get there. Yeah. I would love that. I can't remember all the episodes for next yeah. season. We already have a bunch laid out and I'm excited about them, but I would say at least just off the top of my head, limited atonement would be really cool. Any of the two. What about you? 
Uh, mine would be double predestination, probably. Would be That'd be good. I'm looking forward to the most. So yes, we can to smack all down Aaron. <laughs> all right. So hopefully everybody enjoyed this hodgepodge of information and question answering. Hopefully you enjoyed season two, and hopefully you'll join us again when we start season three, which will start when? Uh, probably mid-January. Mid-January. So enjoy the holidays from the Out of Oz crew. That's it. That's it. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Odds is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about the show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.